From KGW News, this is Straight Talk with Law Porter. Hello and welcome to Straight Talk. I'm Laurel Porter. I have been on family medical leave for the last few months and it is great to be back with you. This is our first show of the year as we celebrate 15 years of Straight Talk. We began the show in January of 2009 with an interview at the state capitol with then Governor Ted Kulingoski. And I thank you for watching all of these years since. Our guest tonight is no stranger to the show. We've talked with him about his love for the city of Portland, its challenges, and how he's hoped to help solve them as a city commissioner. Dan Ryan was first elected in a special election in 2020 after the death of the late commissioner Nick Fish. Commissioner Ryan is currently the Commissioner of Culture and Livability, which until recently included the Parks Bureau, the Office of Community and Civic Life, Office of Equity and Human Rights, and the Portland Children's Levy. Ryan's also the City of Portland's Arts Liaison. However, this week there's a change to Ryan's portfolio as the city prepares to transition to a new voter-approved form of government. The mayor has taken the Office of Community and Civic Life and Equity and Human Rights into his portfolio. Before I went on leave, Ryan told me he'd have a big announcement to make in January as the city gets ready to make this big move to a new government. Welcome to my guest, Portland City Commissioner Dan Ryan. Welcome to Straight Talk. It's so great to have you here as my first guest this year. Laurel, it's great to be here. And on behalf of everyone watching, Welcome back. We missed you and I'm glad you're here. Well, thank you so much. Yeah. I just have a lot of gratitude for the Oregon Paid Family Leave Act that went into effect last fall. I was able to take advantage of that to help out my family yes. as, as a grandparent included in the Oregon Family Leave Act. Yes. And I want to let our viewers know that um, I'm back doing straight talk, but I'm scaling back the rest of my schedule. So I won't be anchoring the five and six o'clock news Monday through Friday anymore so I can continue to help my family. I will fill in, do some stories and continue to do straight talk in this important political year and having guests like you um, it's so important to have you here so thank you so much you're welcome and let's hear it for family leave act yes as it allowed you to do just what you needed and we're happy well, to have you back when you were here last time in yes. september you and i talked and and you said you have a big announcement for me in january when i came back on the show <laughs> And I was thinking you were gonna tell us you're running for mayor, but then on leave, I read in December, you said you're not running for mayor. What happened, why not? Well, what happened is uh, after Labor Day, increasingly people were asking me and I realized I, it was agonizing and I needed to make a decision. So I could see doing the job and then I couldn't see doing the job. And so over the Thanksgiving break, um, my main goal was to figure out if I was gonna run for mayor or not. And the fact is I, I landed in a place where I was at ease with that. I, that wasn't my ambition. I'm ambitious for Portland to be of service to Portland, but I, the thought of running another citywide campaign in a very short period of time just wasn't what the life plan had in store for me. So well, that, that's why I made that okay. decision. Well, three of your colleagues, yes. uh, Carmen Rubio, uh, Mingus Maps, Renee Gonzalez, are running yes. for mayor. Which of your colleagues most closely aligns with your values and the direction you want to see Portland take? I am collaborative and my values I think are shared with many, with all three of them um, in different ways. Uh, I think what's more important for me is to uh, continue to work with them well because we have a lot of work to do right at this time. Uh, I, I will not be making any endorsements for some time, but it's more about what qualities am I seeking is your question, I believe. And it's that you need someone who's 
relational. I think that's really important. I think when you're uh, aligning with the new city manager, you have to get in there and work with the culture of the city employees. It needs to be uplifted. We need to improve services. We need to improve customer service. So I want to see a mayor that knows how to get in there and work with the city manager and the employees as we as we turn the ship around. I also want to see somebody who is um, has independence. Uh, there's a lot of headwinds that come at you. There's a lot of special interests that come at you. Those are passionate interests. You take them in, but sometimes they don't work out when you're looking at the big picture. So you want to have somebody with independence that can take a punch or two and stay on their feet and keep serving with a lot of clarity. How did you feel about the current mayor taking over the Office of Community and Civic Life and Office of Equity and Human Rights from your portfolio? Yeah, that was, uh, it's our portfolio. And my job in one year's time was to make both of those uh, units much better than they were when I inherited them. And with Civic Life, I'm proud to say that it really got back to its core mission of being a place where we could convene Portlanders, steward them in tough conversations, be objective, and really get the voice of community and neighborhoods back into the equation as we lead into this new form of government. And with, Office of, uh, with the Office of Equity and Human Rights, it was really important for it to be elevated. So now the new position will be directly reporting to the city manager. So my job was to, it's all about helping with this transition. Mm -hmm. And these were two that were on an on-ramp already. All part of the, the plan. So let's do it now. So you took over, uh, you were elected in 2020, as <clears throat> I mentioned. How do you think politics have changed since you were elected in Portland? That's great. Uh, politics in general, across the board, uh, social media has helped with this a lot, that you're, ma you're managing more misinformation, you're, manage you're managing a little bit more distaste, if you will, and some really uncivilized behavior. Um, in Portland in particular, I think you're seeing more people that are just anxious and excited and ready to move on move on with better services. I think that's what I'm hearing from Portlanders the most, no matter what their ideology is, they want their services to improve. They want someone to pick up the phone when they call or return the phone call. They want better customer service. And so our job is to really focus on that. And Has I the think city with become new, less progressive than it was? I don't think, I think our justice, uh, our, our, our racial justice values, our justice in general, our kindness um, is still there. That's the heart and soul of Portland, our uh, creativity. It's all there. I just think Portlanders want less ideology speeches and more pragmatic action, and they want to see results. Well, there are a lot of races coming up, yeah. not only for the mayor, a brand new mayor, 12 new commissioners. In Multnomah County, in the commission race, there are a lot of open seats, and we have a DA's race. How do you think those races are going to impact the future of Portland? Big time. I think uh, more and more people hopefully are understanding that the city and the county must be partners. We collaborate. We have handoffs. It's not just in homelessness. It's definitely with public safety. And then just this last week with the snow and ice, we really experienced how challenging it is for the two entities to come together for emergency response. I've always been turned off by finger pointing. It's, it's like that doesn't help. What helps is for us to look in the mirror, know what our role is, improve upon it, and keep showing up as partners and as teammates. We also have a short legislative session coming up next month. What issues do you hope that lawmakers tackle that might help Portland have a brighter future? I think the governor's focus right now is right on. It's, a, it's focused on we need more affordable housing. 
Um, that's obviously important. We need to look at public safety issues. We have to re-examine the rollout of Measure 110. I think a lot of people voted for it because they want more treatment centers. I think we must look at how we implemented it though. We had no idea that it would also coincide with this explosion of uh, accessibility to very poisonous drugs, fentanyl and the new meth. And it's, it's really taking over the soul and the brains of too many people on our, on our streets in particular and all across our state. So we just have to be honest about what the problem is and then come together no matter what your ideology is to improve the conditions on our streets. And the third one that I'm gonna plug because, it, because I can't help myself is the arts. We must invest more in arts and entertainment. That's the night and the weekend economy. And if we wanna see people coming back to Portland and back to Oregon and spend some money here and have some joyful experiences here, we've gotta invest in what really kickstarts the economy more than anything else, and that's arts investments. You mentioned Measure 110, a legislative committee just this week unveiled a framework. It recommends recriminalizing drug possession with the penalty being a low-level misdemeanor and an individual could avoid that if they seek treatment intervention. Do you think that's the way to go? Yeah, I think you have to have carrots and sticks. It's like you must be able to offer the treatment, but if they're not going to show up for, for that, then of course there's the consequences. And you mentioned homelessness. The U.S. Supreme Court is going to take up some lower court rulings the Ninth Circuit made involving local governments not being able to sweep homeless camps unless there are meaningful alternative shelters available. How do you think that Supreme Court ruling might affect Portland and other cities on the West Coast and how they can respond to homelessness? I can only speak in Portland, and since that was my motivation to run for office back in 2020, is we have built more of those services that they were seeking. And we need to have a, more, a better response for people who are chronically homeless on our streets with multiple um, diagnoses. The villages, both small and the larger ones that the mayor came on board with a couple years after mine, all are providing those, those services that are really needed. And so I think we're on the right path to actually comply. And our challenge is uh, getting people to say yes to those services. And that takes time and building those relationships. You've led the way on the Safe Rest Villages. And we have a graphic that shows the location from, we got this graphic from your office. Tell us the status of the Safe Rest Villages. Yeah, they're, they're, they're doing really well. Some of them are expanding a little bit. Uh, the, the one thing that blew me away in the report was 169 documents were, were achieved. These were documents such as uh, birth certificates, ID, and the fact is we had people that were so off the grid, we couldn't register them for a lease for housing. We couldn't register them to get food stamps. And it's so important in, the, in these rest stops basically to do this intake and to help people get back with society again, and then go from there with a the case manager to offer services and see them build that resilience. The goal is to build resilience, get back into the workforce, get back into having a productive life, and hopefully with some years of sobriety, be one of the workers that, that that is on the ground working with the suffering addicts and the suffering people who are homeless. As we look at that graphic there, it says that 70 people found temporary or permanent housing, which is very meaningful for those 70 people, but it seems like a really small number compared to all the people on the street. Are you satisfied with that number? Well, it's dated. That's that's going back from a so year. So what, what is it now, do you think? Uh, now it, you could double that because it's been six more months. But still, it's months. not a big number. It, it's growing. That's the that's the main point. Because here's what it is: you have to really take three to nine months of assessment, and after that period of time, then someone is building that resilience to be successful in housing, 
taking someone off the streets quickly that hasn't been documented for services, that hasn't had any case management, it's really a mistake to shove them into an isolated unit too quickly. It's better to be in the village in the community environment and to build trust with those in the care team and then it's a, it's a, it's a better slope into services. One of the other things you've been really passionate about and you've talked about here on the show is the permitting process, that you're trying to streamline the permitting process. Where does that stand? Well, you know, when, when I first got elected, I, I saw that audit that just said, we haven't been doing well at this for about 30 some years. And I was the first one to say, what about the other seven bureaus besides BDS? And uh, I knew I was on the right track when the auditor paused and, and said, that's a good idea. So we brought them all together. And I did that with Commissioner Maps because he had most of the infrastructure uh, bureaus at that time. And we did some important things. We actually did some trainings on customer service, back to returning that email picking up the phone after three emails when no one's um, communicating very well. And then also just really looking at um, how important it is to have data. So we don't wait every 10 years to see that we're not doing well, but actually to measure monthly progress. And we started seeing that that alone motivates and we saw 35% increase in timeliness. And that led the way for then when Commissioner Rubio got this handoff it was a pretty warm one. And it made sense then to keep moving forward now to unify the system. So it's actually going as well as, as it could. Well, I think it's obvious to a lot of people you're passionate about Portland and what you do. You're not running for mayor, so the big question is what are you going to do to help Portland? Are you going to run for office? I am a, a person that has lived in District 2, which is north and northeast Portland, for the vast majority of my life. Uh, a lot of milestones have taken place there, from you know baptism, kindergarten, graduating from high school, my mom graduating from the University of Portland after raising eight children, my um, dad's business, uh, family dentistry, was in St. John's for over 30 years. So that's always been my town within the city. And so the thought of actually doing more retail politics, if you will, being on the ground, communicating more with residents, being in those main streets of um, businesses in St. John's, in Northeast Broadway, um, North Mississippi, throughout the North and Northeast District. We really need to listen to those small businesses that have had a hard time hanging in there because they've had some challenges with uh, incidents that have been occurring across the city. Okay, you're and burying the lead. What are you gonna do? So my point is I got really excited. Uh, just, just recently I made a decision. I am ready to put my hat in the ring to be of service to the city of Portland as a representative on the new city council. So be a transition from this commission form of city council to this uh, regional representation. I'm all in, I'm excited so about it. So one of three that would be elected from your geographic district, yes. which is district two, how would that be to be one of three from that district? I love building things. I'm, I like collaborating. I like, I'm relational. So the fact that you're not alone, but you're actually working with a team where three people aren't always going to agree on everything, that's part of the secret sauce, I think, is for us to collaborate and learn and then find out what, where we, what we have in common to help move policy. You haven't always embraced the system. You were on this show a couple of years ago when we were voting on the system, and you were opposed to it, and you, you said you voted against it. Why now do you want to be a part of it? Because I love the city and I want to help with the continuity between the current form that we have leading into this one. And I've always been comfortable with change. Uh, every career coach I've ever had said, wow, you love building things and you're comfortable with change. So for me, it's like now is the time. Let's do this right. 
Now, as a current commissioner, you haven't really embraced the speedy timeline that the mayor wanted to, to move towards a smooth transition. He wanted sort of a test run starting in July, and you and a couple of other commissioners uh, voted to serve as deputy city administrators rather than hiring professionals to do it. Why? Why did you vote that way? Well, I think what's important about all those conversations is we, we were in real-time conversations. We get the information sometimes minutes before the work session. And so what you saw is some really authentic dialogue. I think what you also saw is that all of us who are elected citywide want to be relevant and be um, in present with our current job. So we wanted to help the mayor in the building. We, we wanted to be a team that collaborated as we did this process. So what you saw is I think the rest of us just saying, hey, we wanna be a part of the building as well. You have been really vocal about the expense of this new council. Right now it costs the city about $11 million to operate city council offices. That's going to balloon to about $24 million, a lot more than voters were told it would cost. What are your thoughts about that? I remain concerned about that. I don't like it when something goes to the ballot and it's uh, so grossly off. So I've made a point that we're at least aware of that. Um, I hope that like a lot of issues, such as when we're building the Safe Rest Villages, the construction part is expensive. Now that it's operating, those costs will come down. I'm hoping that these initial costs, uh, the shock of them, go down as we right size and move forward. Speaking of construction, the mayor wanted to all of you to move out of City Hall so that construction could begin on renovations to accommodate this larger council. But you and your fellow commissioners don't want to move out. You say we'll disrupt your workflow. But the mayor says that's just going to add more expense the more you delay construction. Why not move out? Well, we actually settled that one and we'll, we'll be moving out um, soon um, at the end of June and that will give enough time and the, the construction timeline will go as planned. I think what we were all saying is, especially after COVID, we were all so isolated. My first year was challenging for many reasons, mm -hmm. but one was I'm serving with people during what, probably one of the hardest times our city's ever faced and we're doing it from our homes on Zoom. And so it really makes sense when we're on the same floor together connecting with each other. This is relational work. And so we're basically saying, please, let's stay in the game and stay present with one another. So a lot more to do. Commissioner, we have a lot more to talk about as well. We'll talk about that after the break. We'll also talk about a bit of a controversy over a new skate park that's planned. We're back right after the break. We'll be back here in two minutes. Welcome back to Straight Talk. I'm Laurel Porter and welcome once again to my guest, Portland City Commissioner Dan Ryan, who announced at the top of the show he's running for one of the three new city commission seats in his North Portland District, District 2. Thanks again for being here. Thank you, Laurel. I just want to briefly touch on something that happened to Renee Gonzalez, who's your fellow commissioner, also running for mayor. A car belonging to a family member outside his home was set on fire. And you've had your own experience with vandalism and protesters. Twice you were targeted in 2020 during the racial justice protest ahead of a police budget vote you were going to take. What did you think about this when you saw what happened to Gonzalez? I was extremely sad and concerned. I reached out to him right away. I think everyone on the council did. and. I think it's just a reminder how important it is to remember that we're human beings, we have families, we're doing the best we can to serve our city, and we need the privacy and uh, we need that time at home to refuel, if you will. And I really am sad that his family is going through this, and it's also hard on neighbors. And it also brought up a lot of feelings uh, for the numerous times that people trespassed at my home. Mm -hmm. 
Um, let's move to another subject that you're sure. dealing with as a current commissioner. You're head of Portland Parks and Rec, and you announced $15 million will be directed to build a new steel bridge skate park. And this is something that's been designed uh, 20 years ago, was part of a city skate park system plan in 2008, never got built. But a lot of critics are saying uh, when the Parks Department has $600 million in maintenance backlog repairs, how can you justify $15 million for a new park when there's so much work needs to be done on existing parks? Yeah, the system development charges are targeted, designated, restricted towards investments of, of new investments. And so that's why uh, it goes towards that. It also is something, as you said, that's been kicked around City Hall, numerous commissioners, numerous mayors. And when I had a chance to look at the portfolio and look at the SDC revenue streams, I wanted to go big in a few places. I've I find my hometown sometimes does this thing where we spray and pray a bunch of investments when we really just need to target a few and go deep and get something done. So what I loved about the skate park is the community of stakeholders that's at the table. It's the advocates that have been at it for forever. It's um, the Old Town Business Association. Like everyone's on board and wants this done. So let's align with that enthusiasm, get this investment in and get going. And the same thing with Darcel Park and then out in North Portland, for the North Portland Aquatic Center. You and Commissioner Gonzalez reportedly are evaluating the possibility of a new bond measure for both the Parks Department and the Fire Department. It would be an $800 million bond, as I understand it, causing the average homeowner $200 a year. And a lot of people have said, and you've heard it, we got too many taxes in Portland and Multnomah County, and the governor's task force that was looking to revitalize Portland recommended a moratorium on new taxes until 2026. Why are you considering a, a new tax? Yeah, well, first we want to just see the appetite of the voter, and we, we, we realize they value two things quite quite high on their, on their list, and that's parks and also a, the protection that they get from fire and safety. However, we also know that a lot of people agree with the governor, and so I think what's important is for the leadership in local government, the mayor, the chair of county government, Jessica Vega-Peterson, the president of Metro, uh, Lynn Peterson, all to come together and look at our big three, if you will, the, and see if we can right-size them, if you will, and maybe because we're getting record revenues coming in, much higher than projected, and we're having some challenges expending those funds, that we could look at the- You mean like three, the Metro tax funds? The Metro tax for, for homelessness, the, 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 P, the PCEF um, one at the city, and then the pre-K for all at the county. They're all, they all were passed, but they're, all, they're going way over projections, and we're having uh, challenges expending those money. So there could be some, let's, let's get creative here and be agile. Maybe if we could uh, lessen the load on everyone with those three, then we wouldn't be raising taxes as much as we would be right-sizing some that currently exist. I wanna ask you quickly about a monument controversy. In 2020, some monuments were toppled, including that of George Washington and Thomas Jefferson. Critics believe those monuments represented the city and county's racist past. Others see it as vandalism and, and want the monuments returned. So the city saw it as an opportunity to come up with a policy about what monuments could go in public property and also what to do with the monuments and a committee was appointed led by two experts and they wanted to collect a lot of background information feedback from people with diverse backgrounds and then announce a plan and a policy in July but you wanted to speed that up as the head of the arts program to February and those two experts quit because they said you're undermining the equitable process why did you want to speed it up so quickly to February I wanted to keep us on the timeline that they were a part of creating so we had a city council meeting 
in July where a timeline was announced that in, in February of this year, one month, we'd be making some suggestions on what next steps are. And so when I found out that we were going to be way off that deadline, I merely said, come on, we have to do better. So we're really uh, getting in busy with engagement. And this is, of course, an emotional issue for many people. I think most see the nuance of it. And I think I just want to say two things. The good people at Lewis and Clark said, something that really stuck with me, and that is when we restore some of these, if they go back, we have to be, we have to get more education on their complexity as a human being. And I think the second one I'd like to say is, in the future, animals only, no more people. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but what do you say about the critics who say you're bowing to political pressure, that you're just trying to curry favor from potential campaign donors? I, I have no idea what they're talking about. Yeah, I was merely sticking to the public uh, guidelines that were laid out at the, at the, at the meeting in the summer. And um, my thing is I like to keep everyone on task and to have the urgency to meet the deadlines. So I want to give you about 30 seconds for a final thought to share with our viewers. Yeah, yeah I think what a lot of, what I'd like to share is that when you serve in this role, you have to care about people you'll never meet. And one reason I'm excited about moving into a district, more retail type position, is I'll have more opportunity to actually meet the people that I do care about, because that's what you do as a public servant. And yes, go Blazers. <laughs> and we're playing better in the last week than we have all season. So you're still a big Blazers fan? Big, big. Because you are the unofficial commissioner of the Trailblazers, Oh, no, right? it's official now, Laura. Let's just make this official. <laughs> I'm the sports ball commissioner. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us again, Commissioner Ryan, running for District 2 in the new commission seat in your Absolutely. district. Thank you so much. It's so good to see you. Always a pleasure to have you here. Thank you for watching. As we mentioned, Portland City Hall will look a whole lot different next year with the voter-approved changes to city government. Complicated, a bit messy. We'll try to make sense of it all with the man who's in charge of the transition, Portland Chief Administrative Officer Michael Jordan. We'll see you next week for Straight Talk. Have a great week.